Help TVO create a better world through the power of learning. Visit TVO.org and make a tax-deductible donation today. Maybe one of the very few silver-ish linings of the pandemic is that it became much easier to talk about loneliness when people were isolated and literally socially distant. And that's good because even before COVID, there was mounting concern about a loneliness epidemic. That was raised again recently by the American Surgeon General, who called for a national strategy there on social cohesion and connection. With us on what they're seeing here and how to tackle loneliness, we're joined by Pete Bombacci. He is founder and executive director of the not-for-profit GenWell Project that aims to be a Canadian-led global human connection movement. David Kepis is here, CEO of Companion Link, a registered charity that connects isolated people, particularly seniors, with volunteers for social connection. Miriam Amder, founder of the 52 Friends Project, which is on a mission to reduce the stigma around loneliness and prioritize friendship. And Steve Jordans, professor of psychology at the University of Toronto Scarborough. And it is great to have all of you around our table tonight for what is sadly a very timely discussion. And I want to set it up, if I can, with... Uh, the following graphic. Sheldon, why don't you bring these numbers up and I'll read along for those listening on podcast at home. How lonely are we? We asked the question. 60% of Canadians are feeling somewhat or much lonelier since the start of the pandemic. 60%. 40% of Canadians say they want to have more friends. 77% of people who have poor self-rated physical health are also lonely. There's a connection there. Let's do some more. Gen Z or Z, depending on how you want to pronounce it, mid-teens to 24, that's the loneliest generation today compared to all the older generational cohorts. Those who greeted strangers at least once a week were almost three times more likely to be happy. All of this data, incidentally, from the Canadian Social Connection Survey from the year 2021. All right, let's find out about what all of you do. David, Companion Link is what? So Companion Link is a charity that matches volunteers one-on-one with socially isolated seniors. And at its absolute core concept is the goal to just make a friend. Um, You can't put a value on the feeling of being valued. And to have someone who knows your name, who wants to hear from you, who wants to pay attention to you. Um, And it's something that, as you just noted, we are all, but certainly from my perspective, seniors in particular are lacking today. Why did you start it? So I started Companion Link about three years ago. Um, in fact, almost to the day now, uh, my grandparents were at a long-term care facility in Toronto that was the site of one of the early major outbreaks of COVID-19. Both my grandparents contracted it. Uh, my grandmother fortunately survived. My grandfather passed away shortly thereafter. And of course, if you cast your mind back to that time, this is the on, in the beginning of the, the lockdowns. So at that time, my, my wife, uh, myself and a friend of ours, we approached the home and said, how would you feel about us FaceTiming the residents just to keep them company? Um, and that grassroots effort snowballed into the organization that we have today. Great. 52 Friends is what? <laughs> So beginning in October of 2022, I made it my goal to make one friend a week. I was experiencing a period of loneliness, and I thought that the way, I thought that a way for me to help with that is to meet one friend a week and to document it. 
And I realized that a lot of other people are struggling with loneliness, especially people my age. I'm 25, so I think that that's kind of a point in our lives when we move from our childhood friends to our adult friends, and that can be difficult for a lot of people. And so I made it, I started 52 Friends with the goal to raise awareness around the loneliness stigma, because I think that a lot of the times we see loneliness as a weakness when it shouldn't be. And also to encourage us all to prioritize friendship because friendship is really an important part of our social health and we often put it on the back burner. It's a neat idea, one friend a week. Where did that come to you from? <laughs> I just, I really like meeting people and documenting stories and meeting strangers. So I think that I thought that would be a cool way to do it. And it made me more comfortable meeting people. I think it gave me this platform where I could easily reach out to someone and say I'm working on this project and document it that way. Is it actually working? Are you making a friend a week? <laughs> I am. I've also kind of switched it since I started to also reconnect with people that I may have lost touch with because I think old friends are just as important as new friends. Um, you I actually read you can't make an old friend, so it's mm -hmm. great to reach out to someone because you can look back on memories and talk about things you've gone through in the past. So it's really switched from just being new friends to reconnecting with old friends, and that's what's been really nice about the project. Great. Pete. Genwell is what? Uh, Genwell is a human connection movement. We're Canada's human connection movement, and our mission is to make the world a happier and healthier place by educating, empowering, and catalyzing Canadians around the importance of face-to-face -face social connection for their health, their happiness, their longevity, and for the betterment of society. And we do that both on a, on a national scale through daily postings of tips, tools, ideas, and research on our social channels and website, but we also work in workplaces, in classrooms, in communities, educating people about the importance of their social health, which has a positive impact on their mental and physical health. And why did you start it? Do you know, it's interesting. It happened not far from this studio during the summer blackout of 2003, when what I saw that night was when we turned off all the other distractions that we have in our life, people came together and they connected face to face. And oftentimes with people, whether it was a neighbor that they used to walk by or wave at as they were leaving, but they never knew each other, but they took the time that night. And I have stories from neighborhoods to workplaces where people who'd never talked before built strong friendships that have carried on from that day. And what you really realize is sometimes we just need an excuse, a catalyst, and certainly an understanding of why connecting with people is so important for our health and happiness. Well, I can tell you all, and our viewers and listeners as well, that the catalyst for the program you're on right now is this guy sitting right here, who's been a guest on our program many times in the past, but, but you were... You thought this was a particularly good time to revisit this issue. How come? Yeah, well, I mean, during the pandemic, I was, I was trying to find ways to help. And, and I knew everybody was very anxious, so I, I created a free course to help people understand anxiety and manage it. But I was also routinely in the media um, giving tips and suggestions about what people should do. And, and one of those tips and suggestions, a big one, is social connection. Uh, the research is just so clear on how powerful a tool this is, literally to bring people happiness, to help their physical health, to help their social health. Well, it is their social health, sorry, their mental health. Um, those three things we can kind of consider all tied together, and the social health really feeds the other two. So I'm sort of coming at it from a scientific perspective. What scientists really need are people that are taking this data and mobilizing it and, and bringing it to the people that, that need it. And all three of these people became heroes to me. I, I was sort of, during the pandemic, I've been looking for heroes, um, and I've been finding them. And so any chance to work with them and to support what they're doing, I'm there 100%. We know that during the pandemic, it was a really, really 
tough and you might even say awful time for so yeah. many people in terms of human connection. Now that the pandemic is, I don't want to say over, but shall we say more manageable, more mm -hmm. under control, are we coming out of that? Well, I mean, there's a bit of a hangover and a bit of a shadow, I think. I mean, it was a long enough period of time that people have sort of restructured habits a little bit. There's also the potential of fear that's come out of the pandemic. We associate a lot of anxiety with close proximity to other people and such. And so, you know, I think it was an issue, and Pete can tell you this well, before the pandemic already. But I think the pandemic has just sort of exacerbated it more, and especially, as you suggested, for those younger uh, people who are, who are, I think, really struggling now. Do, do you see that, Pete? Because I, I got to tell you, I do notice, as odd as this sounds, many people I bump into have kind of forgotten how to have face-to-face -face contact. They've spent so much time on their devices over the pandemic, they've lost the, uh, the, the skill of interpersonal connection. You well, see I, that? I think we can see this just when we think about not going to the gym for a period of time. And what's it like when we go back to the gym that first time? It's not so easy. And so I think what we're seeing is people have gotten set in new ways, you know, whether that's uh, binge watching TV, whether that's on your digital technology, whatever the other solutions were to help us cope with two years of being masked up and locked down. Now we actually have to help people. And this is really what the movement's all about, which is the solution to our, our disconnected world should not be a medical one where we wait until people are lonely or sick before we try to help. It's about awakening all Canadians, 38 million of us, to say, hey, you can be part of the solution. And it starts with saying hello to a neighbor, saying hello to somebody that you walk by as a stranger, talking to old friends, to old colleagues. We can all be part of the solution. But I think the first step is educating people just on how important this is, which research now says it's more important than exercise and as important as eating well. Have you found, I mean, you're the youngest among us here, and ha have you found that some of your friends have kind of lost the skill or forgotten how to communicate with each other? I think so. I also think that happened to me, and that's why I started the project. Huh. Because we were spending all this time at home, working from home, only really talking to one another over text. And I think that we lost the ability to be able to have in-depth conversations and have quality conversations. And I've noticed that among my friends, and I think that's why our friendships have weakened, is because we lost the skill, and then we, we start to think that we don't need to, to work on it, that we just become comfortable with the way that we're living. And now I gotta ask you how we get out of it, because, uh, and, and I assume, well, let me play a little gender politics here. Uh, I appreciate the fact that you think it's a great idea that we should all go out and try and meet a new friend a week and, and the, the, the health benefits that will come from that. But there are obviously, uh, there will be women who are watching this right now who will say to themselves, I'm not really comfortable with the idea of a guy who I don't know just sort of getting in my personal space and saying hi to me in public. Uh, I know they think they're being friendly, but, you know, we live in a different era nowadays. How do we figure all that out? I think that you need to have tact in all of your interactions. So it's just important to, to think like what I want, just, just be tactful, I think, and be mindful of other people's space. I think we can usually feel when someone wants us to come up to them or not. So think of the environment that you're in. If you're at a networking event, you probably don't mind if people are coming up to you. If you're at, if you're talking to your neighbor, you probably don't mind if he comes up to you. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's, it's out of the blue and you're walking down the street, with your groceries and someone's on the phone with you and some, then someone walks up to you, maybe you won't appreciate that. <laughs> no, I, I get that. And Steve, let me get some help from you on this as well, because one of the suggestions that I've read about is that you should say, say hi to a stranger, you know, when you're walking down the street, just say hello. 
Now, some people are going to be a little put off by that. So how do we handle all this? Yeah, I mean, the, the research is kind of interesting. So the research suggests that most of us, if, if we're asked, would, what's going to happen if you go talk to a stranger? We think it's going to end horribly. We have what's called a fear of negative evaluation. We think they're not going to like us. They're not going to whatever. Um, when you actually look at the experiments and the data, when you make that connection, at least 90% of the time it goes well. Um, and, and the people feel very positively from it. We don't worry about the 90. We worry about the 10. We worry about the 10. And, and that is, you know, in this story, we, we say, hey, there's this happy solution. We just need to do good, better social connection. Um, but there's a villain in the story, and that villain is social anxiety. And, and in fact, you know, we talk about young people losing the skill it's unclear whether they ever developed it to the same extent where you and I did because they've been communicating through social media for a long time. Mm. Social, media, social media does not give head nods, yeah. does not give you know, all the non-verbals that, that when Miriam talks about having tact. You know, we have to be able to read those signs to feel comfortable in a conversation. And I think a lot of young people were not given as much practice. Uh, and so they, they find it even pre-pandemic, people coming to my office hours would say, this is really, you know, it stresses me out, you're intimidating. Mm. Me, but to that generation, they feel this is a real challenge. David, you may have started your program dealing with senior population. How about younger people? Are they involved in your efforts as well? You know, that was actually one of the biggest shifts for us about a year into our organization. I mean, we remain focused on reducing isolation amongst seniors, but the benefit to the volunteer, and, and we work with so many people who are, you know, at, at sort of the student age or, or in their 20s or early 30s. Um, what they can learn and what they can benefit from interacting with someone who's from a different generation is, is absolutely extraordinary. I have spoken with, I'd say, probably every single one of our volunteers, and I always ask them, you know, what, why do you want to work with seniors? And many of them um, come from, uh, our overwhelming majority of, of uh, volunteers are women, and I'd say the majority are uh, women of color from Southeast Asian or Asian backgrounds, and, and they will say to me, well, I grew up in an environment where there was a much more, there was a greater role for elderly or seniors. There was a more multi-generational setting. And it's actually bizarre to me not to have this in my life. And I would love to volunteer and make those connections. Um, and that tells you, I think, everything you need to know about what the benefit as a young person of making that connection can be. Have you got a theory on why this is overwhelmingly a female phenomenon in terms of those who are volunteering to help as opposed to male? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the notion of it being an Eastern population makes a lot more sense because mm -hmm. of that tie-in. But, I mean, I think just we, we have the stereotypes of women being more caring, more etc. And, and there's clearly something to that. Uh, motherhood brings with it some level of empathy that maybe some of uh, uh, the males lack. And so I think there's also an understanding of the situation the older people are in. Um, and, yeah, just that they're more willing to, I think, come to these sort of social, emotional kinds of situations like that. Pete, you got any advice for us on this uh, stranger danger issue? How we, how we try to be friendly and establish connection while at the same time having the skill to read cues that may say, keep your distance? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is recognizing that over 90% of the time, as Steve pointed out, it actually ends up in a positive experience. And let's not get caught up in the 10%. But to Miriam's comment, it's, you know, we shouldn't be taking away the same protocols that we've had in the past when you, the spiny senses go up and you say, I don't feel like this is a good situation for me. That shouldn't change. But, you know, we have people that we walk by every day, whether we're standing in a line at a grocery store, we could be talking to a neighbor who lives five doors down instead 
instead of the one beside us, but we've never exchanged a conversation with them. This is really about awakening all Canadians to the importance of connection and getting it through many, many means in our daily lives. And I think, interestingly enough, you know, because a lot of the social structures that were in our lives before the pandemic, we went to the gym, we used to go to the grocery store to get groceries, we used to go to the office and have a walk to the coffee shop or the lunchroom or all the different places we went, those have been removed from our lives. And I think when we think about the opportunity that stays within talking to strangers, that we've told people for 50 years, don't talk to strangers. Mm. But if we know that those who talk to strangers are three times as happy, and we know that over 90% of the time it's a positive experience, I think I have a gap filler that may actually help people feel a greater sense of connection, trust, empathy, compassion, belonging, and it's called take a chance and maybe talk to a stranger. Mm. Well, let me, okay, Steve, what if you're a lone wolf? What if you're a deeply introverted person and the notion of that kind of contact with strangers is just yeah. absolutely outside your comfort zone? I, I mean, our, our notion of introverted, extroverted is often like how much do you crave you know, rich social interactions. Yeah. But if it gets down to how much do you need some close social interactions when the chips get down? And this is where social connection really pays off. When we're under a lot of stress, when, when the world is being tough on us. These close connections we have allow us to sort of dissipate that, to share the stress and to feel like somebody is there and somebody cares. And even your deepest introvert needs somebody there who cares. Um, when you lose that, that's when you really feel totally, totally isolated. So, you know, it's true they may not crave as much social interaction as somebody else, but they certainly need it as badly as everybody. When did you start 52 Friends? I started 52 Friends end of October. End of October, October of last year. Yeah. So you're not... Okay, so you're... You're a little more than halfway through? I'm at friend number 30. You're at 30, okay, yeah. so that makes sense. Uh, of your efforts to make new friends, how many of the, how many times have gone well, how many times have not gone well? I think it's gone well in my case because, because I think I'm tactful and because I reach mm -hmm. out to people who, who I may have lost touch with or people who run in similar social circles. So I think that I've been tactful and intentional in the people that I reach out to. But I also know that there's this idea that I'm collecting friends, and I don't think that's true. I think that we only the research shows we only really can have three to five close friends and one to two what they call soulmates. So soulmates mm -hmm. is someone you can text and say, I just had coffee or I'm going to the grocery store. And so we don't need 52 friends, but it's really nice to be able to expand our social circles and be vulnerable and practice reaching out to people. Well, that's the thing. Most, oh, I don't know if I can use this word, normal? Most normal people fear rejection. Mm -hmm. when they reach out in the kind of way you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Do you not? No, I also think it's like the, the more times you do something, you increase your chances of being successful. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll ask 10 people and one person will say no, but I'll, nine people will say yes. So I'm not going to focus on the one person who said no. That's the 90-10 theory. There we go. <laughs> Well, and I also, I think Miriam's called something out a couple times, and it's part of everything that David's doing, Miriam's doing, and we're doing at the Genwell Project, is giving people permission. So Miriam has her project, which allows her the confidence to say, I'm going to reach out to you because I'm doing this project for 52 Friends. David has it because I'm reaching out because I'm part of this program that's trying to build a more connected senior in Canada. Well, if we all can create, and this is what the Genwell Project, we're educating people, but also throughout the course of the year, we have Genwell Weekends, we have Loneliness Awareness Week, we have a lot of catalytic moments that give people permission to say, you know what, today, Steve, 
you could talk to your neighbor that you haven't spoken to before, or you might try talking to a stranger because sometimes we need that little boost that says, okay, it's like St. Patrick's Day, I wear green every year. I have some Irish blood in me, but the rest of the year I don't wear green. Why is it one day of the year I'll put on silly hats, wear green, put buttons on and drink green beer? Because somebody gave me permission to do it. And that's what Genwell is trying to do, is create that permission so that people understand why and then give them the opportunity to make it happen. Steve, if I, if I may add as well, I think that there is maybe a myth about what a socially isolated person might look like, mm. that you know, they have nobody in their lives, you know, they're only at home. But I think you know, to, to Steve's point about perhaps the degradation of the way that we interact caused by social media, you know, their loneliness can look very, very different. I think about, I had a, a senior reach out to us, to us back in December, self-identifying as, you know, I am completely isolated. I would love to be part of your program. And I called her the next day and, you know, we, we got to chatting. She has family. Um, you know, she has kids. Now, they don't live in Canada anymore, but they, you know, they call her occasionally. Um, she had a very successful career. You know, I, I got off that phone call thinking, you know, my goodness, like this person to quote unquote did everything right. Um, and yet they still had the courage, which many people don't, to say, I need more than this. You know, I need more friends. So, you know, to the point about the richness of having that network and being able to engage with strangers and building that out, it is so important, even if you might think, well, you know, I have a couple of people. It can be more than that and oftentimes must be. Can I follow up with you on that? Of course. Did, did she, was she able to tell her family that, yes, you FaceTime me every couple of weeks, but that's not enough? You know what? I haven't asked her if what her comfort level would be with reaching out to, to her kids to ask them to do more. But I, I can tell you as a, as a son, as a grandson, I think I certainly feel this way. I'm sure a lot of people do. You can always do more. You can always be calling your, you know, your mom, your your grandfather, your the the folks in your um, in your neighborhood. I like one of the things that I would love to to share with with people watching this program is so much of what you can do to combat isolation and loneliness can start at home, um, and can simply be reaching out to those loved ones in your network or in your community. Um, and we definitely can can do more. We should, I think, make the distinction, Steve, here between being alone and being lonely. Mm -hmm. Solitude mm -hmm. versus isolation and loneliness. Right. What's the difference? Right. I mean, solitude can be very beneficial. There's a lot of people who find when they spend some time just by themselves, you get away from everything, you get the good thoughts, the good deep reflections. You know, sometimes life-changing moments happen when we're in that deep solitary reflection. Loneliness is more like hunger. Um, it, it literally is, is our body telling us there's something we need. We need that social connection. Um, and the normal response to loneliness is to go out and, and, and do something. It's just we've sort of created a world now where people find that a very difficult step. And one of the things I love about what, what all of these people are doing is there's the awareness that this is important. That's hard first because our, co our conscious mind doesn't always understand the importance of the emotional connections that we have. So we have to kind of convince people through the data, no, no, this will work. But then we need to give them the practice because they have difficulty really learning, how do I reach out to somebody? And, and there are easy tips. You know, I will mention one thing now, which is just something called active listening. 
If you think, ah, how do I have a conversation? Go check out active listening on the web. Basically become a reporter, almost like yourself, Steve, where you, where you get good at just asking people more questions about their life. And we love that. We love people who are interested in us. And it's very easy to start a conversation in that kind of mode, find the points of connection, and then take it from there. And so it's kind of like, you can get out of this. There's that anxiety, but we can get you by the anxiety and bring you to that more comfortable place. Miriam, this notion of alone versus lonely, have you experienced this? Definitely, I think that we need to learn to be alone and that being alone can be really beneficial. Mm -hmm. I also think that sometimes when we're struggling, we have this idea that we need to separate ourselves from everyone and just suffer by ourselves. When we can learn how to be alone, if within the context of other people, we can only discover ourselves within the context of other people is what I mean. Mm. And then so once we learn how to be with people, we can we need to learn, we can learn how to do both at the same time, is what I'm trying to say, is you can also enjoy your time alone, enjoy your solitude, and enjoy your time in relationships. Right. All right, in our remaining moments here, let me just take everybody down the road. If we all follow your advice, let's say we all just take that extra step, we make that effort to talk to that stranger, we try to make some new friends, we try to stay in touch with our senior relatives and so on. Steve, take us five years down the road. What does society look like? I mean, we, we know how polarized society is right now, and that's caused by a lack of trust, a feeling that that person is other, different, etc. What social connection does is tear that all down. Um, it literally, the more we interact with others, the more we understand them, uh, the less we fear them, uh, and the better we're able to have good communications with them. So, you know, a lot of the things that we all gnash our teeth at when we look at society today, this is the path to making it better. Pete, what does our society look like five years down the road if we do more of what you suggest? Even as you asked the question, Steve, I got, uh, I became happier. I became motivated because I'm, the aspiration is to do just that. And what I think it creates is happier, healthier individuals, workplaces, communities, streets, homes, um, classrooms, and everybody starts to feel a greater sense of connection. And we know that the research says that when you have that sense of support and that sense of belonging in your whatever that group is, that you are happier and healthier and over time that will affect all of us. So I think it's an, a beautiful aspiration and I think we can make the world a happier and healthier place. David, I happened to be in on a Zoom call yesterday with the former United Kingdom minister responsible for loneliness. Mm. You know, they appointed one mm -hmm. in the recent government. And she said, being lonely is as adverse to your health as if you smoked 15 cigarettes a day. Yes. So take us down the road. What does a better society look like? Yeah, I mean, and, and I apologize for perhaps being the, the pessimist on the panel. I mean, the, the scale and scope of, of the problem is, is quite dire. I mean, if you look between, say, 2015 to 2035, as a percentage of the population, people older than 65 will go from about one in six to one in four. And if you are socially isolated at, 60, at 65, you can expect to live about three to five years fewer than somebody who has a, a nourishing social life. One of the things that we say at Companion Link is, you know, let's, let's give those years back. Um, I absolutely adore all the initiatives and work that everybody around this table are doing, um, but I, I so fear that the steps that we're taking, you know, we, we need to go much further to address that, that problem because the scale is truly enormous. We got 20 seconds left for you to tell us where you're going to find your next 22 friends. <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of playing off of what we're just talking about is we need to be a friendlier collective. And I think when we're a friendlier collective, it's easier to make friends. Perfect. So, 
that's how I'm going to find them. That's great. I want to thank all of you for coming on to our program tonight, starting here on the right side of the table, David Kepis and Miriam Amder, and on the other side of the table, Pete Bombacci and Steve Jordans. Uh, really important, timely conversation. Thanks for coming in tonight, everybody. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is made possible through generous philanthropic contributions from viewers like you. Thank you for supporting TVO's journalism.